There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. This week, we have not one, but two guests. Jerry Sher is an Emmy-winning filmmaker who wrote, directed, and produced Quiet Explosions, Healing the Brain, a documentary feature about traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress in veterans, athletes, and civilians. And Sebastian Responti, or Sebi's as friends call him, is a former New York City firefighter and 9-11 survivor whose story was among those told in Quiet Explosions. Jerry and Sebi, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Hey, Chris. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for having us. Thanks so first, having. let's start with each of your backstories. Jerry, you're a native of Fall River, Massachusetts, and your career has had three distinctly different chapters. Could you share that story with us, please? Sure. Well, when I was really young, maybe eight years old, I knew I wanted to be an artist, and I was a painter at that time and followed a career in the uh, arts. So I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts from UMass in Amherst. And then I got a master's degree in art education, and I was a teacher of all different grades. And then I became a professor of art, and I really liked that work. But one of the colleges I worked for asked me to work in London for them with my students. And that kind of changed my view because I loved being in business, and I loved being the liaison for the college. So I kind of wanted to go further. And I saw a little ad in the Boston Globe and it said international freight specialist. So I applied for the job, not even really knowing what it was. I just knew I liked to travel and I knew some languages. And I got that job because it was a minority company and they thought that I would round out the minority as a Jewish female from suburbia in the trucking business. So I became the first female in the Northeast Carta in the trucking world. And I didn't know at the time, but it was teaching me all of the skills that I needed to become a producer. So I spent 20 years in that industry, and then I wrote a story about a woman in the trucking business, and that's how I got in the movie business. You know, Jerry, one thing we haven't discussed is you've got two New Yorkers on here. We haven't discussed (laughs) Red Sox, Yankees, or anything like that, so maybe we'll save that for after the show because this is a family show. We don't want to go down that rabbit hole, so we'll we'll, we'll save that one maybe for later. Uh, But Sebi... Where were you raised, and how did it lead you to your life in New York City Fire Department? Hey, Chris. Um, I was raised in Astoria, New York, a uh, very uh, unique place. Um, there's over uh, different ethnicities here. Uh, really, really cool place to grow up. Um, it, actually, what led me to be a fireman is a very uh, personal matter. I, I, uh, <laughs> my grandmother and mom were saved from a fire in World War II. Uh, GIs took them out of a fire. My grandmother was burned along her back. They took care of her, put water on her, uh, treated her wounds. And my mom was just uh, an infant. So it was something that stuck with me when I, you know, heard that story as a child. And I, I kind of progressed. I, I, I went through school. I, I, I was uh, uh, involved in a lot of sports, um, suffered some injuries. And I, I ended up going to, to, to college and, and getting um, teaching for a little while at my old high school and then getting a, um, a, a really cool marketing position at an international airline, British Airways, which was great, really great people. And then 
I got called finally uh, after seven years from taking a test to be a fireman. And uh, I left. My whole family went crazy. You're leaving this corporate job to be a firefighter. And it was the best thing I ever did. Uh, you know, just another family. <laughs> That's fantastic. I didn't know that. So thank you for sharing that with us. Jerry, thank you. Quiet Explosions wasn't your first health-related production. Among the 22 projects you've completed since joining the Directors Guild of America in 1998, one was a 12-part docudrama about healing through alternative medicine titled Live Life. What drew you to that topic, and what was your big takeaway from that project? Well, many years ago, I was up at Esalen, Big Sur, at a seminar called Guided Imagery, having fun with guided imagery, and I didn't really know what it would be like, but I met Dr. Emmett Miller, and he was the founder of mind-body science in the early 70s. And when I finished this three-day seminar with him, I was really taken because he explained and taught us that you can control your cells with your thoughts. I really did not know before that that I would have the ability to control my cells in my body through my thoughts. So I gave him my card. I told him that I was a filmmaker and I was very fascinated with his work. And if he ever was interested in a documentary film, let me know. And, you know, I, a couple days later, I got home and got back to LA and he called and he said, I really like to meet with you because I've looked my whole life (laughs) for the right person to make this project happen. He had to have someone who he trusted because he was going to give them all of his patients And one thing led to another, and I interviewed many people he had healed. And it was fascinating to me. I started with the pilot, which was a little boy, Will, who had a brain tumor. And the doctor said he would be dead in a year. And he worked with Dr. Miller and other alternative medicines, not Western medicine. And he's still, I followed the boy for 10 years. And then he went to college and he's still thriving. So it it mushroomed so much that what started out as a documentary film ended up to be a 12-part series. And that's where I learned so much about healing, to be honest. And after that, you approached Quiet Explosions in a very intentional way. You didn't want to limit the story to military veterans and first responders, as we've seen so often, and instead on an even mix of veterans, first responders, athletes, and everyday folks. Why was that? Well, Chris... You know, in my mind, there are so many people in the world that have a brain problem. Either they fall off a bike when they're a kid or they get into a car accident and they have whiplash and a month later they, they can't remember anything. And I knew that this particular silent illness affected millions of people worldwide. It wasn't just the star football player and it wasn't just a man who came back from war. There were so many people this would affect. And I felt like if I was going to take the time and energy and and hard work to make a movie, I had to include all the populations that it could affect so that we could maybe help more people. And that's what happened. And is there any similarity in the symptoms and effects of post-traumatic stress and a traumatic brain injury? There are many similarities in the fact that the symptomology really coincides. Many people through the film show up in different walks of life, yet they have the same symptoms. And what was astounding to me is people with PTSD and people with TBI all wanted to commit suicide, like all 10 characters. And it was, it was no matter what their age, no matter where they were from, no matter what their occupation, and they were totally different people, 
they all had similar situations. They couldn't sleep. They had un- bouts of con- uncontrolled crying. They, they couldn't say a complete sentence. They had memory loss. So I saw a huge similarity, yes. Sebi, you and I were both the ground zero on September 11th, 2001. As traumatic as it was for me, you saw much more than I did and experienced unimaginable trauma. It's always a difficult task of anyone who was there, but would you take us back to that terrible day, how it started for you, and what you did during the days and weeks after 9-11? Uh, sure. And, um, and only where you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, just on a, on a detailed area, I'll just leave the feelings about it. I, I was working uh, September 10th into September 11th. I worked the night tour into the day tour, the, just a firefighter schedule that we had. Um, we had a fire about five in the morning uh, at Fulton Street in Brooklyn. We got a whole bunch of support. We were able to put it out. Uh, we went back to our firehouse. A couple of the local companies uh, gave us a little respite to shower up, grab some coffee, and get ready for the day tour. And then, obviously, as you know, Chris, so, you know, 8.30 so, uh, we're in the kitchen. We, we, we have the news on, obviously, see what's going on. And, uh, and you know, the tower got hit. And we went up onto the roof of the firehouse. We started seeing the smoke billowing. Uh, we knew right away that, uh, you know, the, the early reports about a small plane hitting it were definitely not true because we could see being in Brooklyn and looking over that that was definitely not a small plane that hit the towers. We had an understanding of the size and the impact that, that a larger plane would cause. So we, um, all of a sudden the bells start going off, fifth alarms, things like that. We all start queuing up. Uh, most, of, most of the companies and most of the world came from the north. Um, us being in central Brooklyn, we queued up by the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, as you're familiar with. It's in the southern part of, of Manhattan uh, via Brooklyn. Um, the first tower went down, and we saw that happen. Uh, we commenced proceeding into the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. We were blocked by, you know, oncoming cars, people, debris. Uh, we proceeded on foot, and by the time we exited the tunnel, the second tower had come down. Um, we ran into... Um, a lot of tragedy that day. Uh, at that point, we did our best to uh, try and uh, locate and uh, save people. Uh, we tried to get whatever water we could and put it on the fires surrounding us. And um, it was, a, you know, a very devastating uh, day for all of us. So. Yeah. No, thank you for that. And just so you're aware, Sebi, uh, on my show that aired on September 7th, um, over the last year and a half, I've been working on a, a manuscript, for lack of a better word. Uh, and the, the first chapter is about my September 11th. And so uh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Chris. Jerry, documentaries don't just come together overnight. What went into this project in terms of lining up, financing, finding the people you want to feature, shooting all the video, and then putting it all together? It is an insurmountable amount of work. There's no doubt about it. It's very difficult. You know, I call it blood, sweat, and tears. Um, 
when I was first approached by the editor of the book for Tales from the Blast Factory, which was Andrew Marr and Adam Marr's book, she was the editor and she knew me from Fall River where I grew up and had followed my career. And she said it was the best book and I had to make the movie of it. So I read the galleys and I was quite taken with Andrew. So he came out to see me. I was more taken with the doctor because Dr. Gordon is in my backyard in Encino. And I'm like, if this man has a cure for people and he's healing people, why does not the whole world know about this? So Andrew came out from Texas and he looked at a lot of my work from live life and he said I had the rights to the book and I told him at that moment that I would only do it if it was a third military, a third athletes and a third civilians. He went along with that and then I explained to him the biggest challenge was to get the funding. So we oftentimes when we have a 501c3 umbrella, which is the Warrior Angels Foundation, we have people who need tax write-offs and they can fund the movie that way. So we finally took six months to nine months to get the seed money and the beginning money. And then we started crewing up with cinematography and lighting and sound and all the people we need. And I started interviewing Andrew and Dr. Gordon. And then, you know, I'd say to them, okay, now I know I need a female. So who do you know and who's in your repertoire? And then they told me about Annie, our Navy gal and, and Juliana, our gymnast. So, one thread leads to another and then I get more threads that come in and then, you know, I, I know to interview another doctor. And then the hard part is crisscrossing the country everywhere and going to Nashville and Boston and Atlanta. And then sometimes you interview people and you film it and you're not going to use it. It ends up on the cutting room floor and that's really hard. But the hardest part really is then the editing because the story is made in the edit room. Uh, it's not like a regular feature where you have a script to begin with. And and you, I never have an agenda, so I never really know what the magic is going to be. And then, you know, then I, I met Dr. Cher in New York, and he told me about Sebastian. And, you know, I'm like, Sebi would be amazing having a firefighter, you know. So I just, I go with the flow, and I I never really know what's going to happen. But that's the beauty of making a documentary so in post, we have to concern ourselves with 24 frames per second. And each frame has visuals, dialogue, music, animation, and visual effects, five elements. So I have hundreds of thousands of elements in each frame. And my art background gave me the ability to freeze every frame like a painting. So I think that's why people say the movie has great content, but it's also pretty visually stunning. I hope. And what did you learn during the production of Quiet Explosions that most surprised you about traumatic brain injuries and post-traumatic stress? Well, it surprised me about how difficult it is for the families and the caretakers. They go through as much real horror and pain as the victim. Not only the, the wife or the spouse or the mother or the children, I mean, it affects the entire family. And I also saw what was difficult is that they are trying every doctor and another doctor and another pill and another prescription, and they're not getting any results. And they're just getting worse by the minute because they're being fed a lot of uh, drugs and pharmaceuticals. So it's, it's very disconcerting. And the other thing that's very difficult for each of them is they think they're alone. And it wasn't until we had the cast and crew screening in LA 
when these 10 characters met, there was such a camaraderie when they saw each other on the screen that they were all living through the same thing in different ways. But it, it was just amazing. I remember Sebi and Juliana hugging and saying, oh, my. And Juliana was like, there's other people out there like me. So I think that was a big reveal to me when I, when I realized that these people need each other to see how they can heal and that there is hope. So you just touched on how all the, the, uh, the folks in the movie, the documentary, were from different walks of life, athletes, first responders, uh, military veterans. You know, what treatments, you know, all receiving different treatments, what ones did you like or take a shine to over time that seemed to be working the most? I was extremely blown away by the hormone replacement that happens in the brain. I did not know that we have 18 to 20 hormones in our brain at all times in different uh, amounts that have to be there to function perfectly. And when people get knocked in the head, the pituitary gland is not functioning and it isn't producing those hormones. So what Dr. Gordon does is he does blood work very extensive and the lab analyzes what's missing. So you could be missing cortisol or pregnenolone or, you know, um, testosterone. And they replace those hormones in the right doses. Now, that was astounding to me because I saw each of these characters get better and better and better. And they became, they said to me, they felt like Cinderella, like their, their life had opened up again and they were real. I was also not familiar with hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I kind of had heard about it, you know, this floating here and there, but it wasn't prevalent like an MRI or a CT scan. And putting massive doses of oxygen in your brain really helps you and your whole body. So when Sean and Sebi did the HBOT, I mean, they got so much better. So that was revealing and, and has helped many. A lot of these Characters, though, have to have combination of these things, not just one. And then transcranial magnetic stimulation, I did not know at all. And I learned about that through Dr. Sammons for our football player, Mark Rippin, who luckily came forward because my hardest job was getting a football player to speak out. The NFL has such a hold on those guys. Oh, my God. I mean, I interviewed, you know, 10 to 20 NFL players, but nobody would go on camera and be in the film. So I'm grateful to Mark Rippin and Anthony Davis, who really wanted to speak out. And that was just so much courage and bravery. Um, so it's a combination of all of these different things and diet. A lot of nutrition, too, is very, very important. So you talked about connecting with Sebi the first time, being introduced to him. Tell us how that went, your first interaction with him. Well, I was very excited and anxious to meet Sevi. We first met on the phone um, because I'm in L.A. and he's in New York. And usually I can tell right away by a phone call if something's going to work out or if this character person is going to open up to me. Uh, it takes time. But, you know, I, I was very excited that he was so authentic and he spoke from the heart. I could feel that immediately. We had a really great rapport right away and of course when I finally met him in New York um, I went there to shoot I mean that was just fabulous and meeting his whole family and his daughters and bringing him to some places that I had set up to shoot with some friends of mine I mean it was 
you know, we were all sort of like old souls, like we knew each other from a past life or something. I mean, that's how I felt. And I was grateful that he was speaking to me. He trusted me. You know, I felt like he was telling me his story from the inside out and, and revealing things that perhaps he might not have been comfortable with, uh, with just anyone. So I was... You know, I was, everyone will always say to me, you know, who's your favorite character? And all of a sudden, I'm like, I love this fireman. <laughs> Sebi? So, Sebi, did you ever think a marketing exec and New York Fire Department would become a movie star? No. <laughs> I, I, I do podcasts because they tell me I've got a face for radio, so I haven't had the opportunity yet. So, tell us about your first meeting with Jerry. Gosh. She's, uh, she's everything you're hearing and seeing and more. She's just a remarkable woman. Um, she's extremely intelligent, but her compassion, you know, exceeds even that. Um, she cares about what she's doing, the people that uh, she's helping. Um, you know, she's, she's being very humble about it, but it, it, it takes a lot of courage uh, to do what she does. This is not an easy environment to navigate through. Um, to her earlier point about the NFL stars and a rip, I mean, um, you know, this lady has been a trailblazer and um, she's helped millions of people that she's never even going to meet. So, Jerry, I know we're going to Oscar season here. Where can people find the documentary? Well, the documentary is going to be playing at the Lemley Theater here in the L.A. area, October 8th to the 14th. That Oscar qualifies us. It's also streaming on every platform, Amazon, Hulu, Vudu. And if you go to our website, quietexplosions.com, you can see every streaming link. You can see where, where to buy the DVD. You can go to our Facebook page, Quiet Explosions Facebook page, and, and learn more about it. You can always email me at jerry13, which is jerri 13 at aol.com. I do respond to everyone. I get people who call me or text me or email me from Taipei, from Paris, from Berlin, and they say, oh, gosh, is this Jerry Sure, You know, I just want you to know I was just going to kill myself and take my life. And then I saw your movie. I am not going to take my life. I know now there's hope. And so I feel like we are affecting people. So the more people that see the film, put a little review on Amazon and then tell other people that's how we're going to help the whole world. No, and I've seen it not once but twice because it was very moving. Um, and I got more out of it the second time, just sort of absorbing more and listening more carefully and intently and understanding a little bit more of the process and the individual storylines. So it's definitely worth our listeners and viewers watching. I highly recommend it. So thanks for sharing that, Jerry. We've been talking to Emmy-winning director Jerry Sher and 9-11 survivor Sebi Responti. And we'll be right back after a short break. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? 
Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for The Power of Young People to Change the World, hosted by NYLC CEO Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Lord Jesus Christ presents a doctrine through the Apostle Paul for us so that we might teach the word to others. Hear and interpret these words of wisdom each week on the radio program Why Paul? With hosts Michael and Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton through their ministry, 14th Street Ministries. Michael, Michelle, and Pamela are dedicated to sharing these words with you so that you might pass it along to others. Listen every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with Jerry Scherer. His latest project is the documentary Quiet Explosion, which features our second guest, former New York City firefighter and 9-11 survivor, Sebi Responti. We were talking before the break about Jerry and Sebi Connected. Jerry, how long did it take for Sebi to really open up to you? I really think that in the beginning, Sebi felt like he wanted to be authentic right from the beginning. Um, he didn't, I don't think he really held back too much at all. And I think he was really real with me. And of course, the phone call is hard in the beginning. But once we first met in person, he was completely you know, open. And I think he felt close enough to me and trusted me enough that I would represent him and his story in the right way. And not, um, and same with his children. I mean, he felt strong enough that I could meet with his little girls and talk with them. And that was hard for them to go through the fact that the father had lived through this horror, and what it was like for them so I think the fact that he allowed me and wanted me to meet them and be part of the film said something about how he felt about me and the whole process. Well, Sebi's a kid from Queens. That's about as authentic and real as you get out there. So that's no surprise. 
And Sebi, when did you begin to receive treatment for post-traumatic stress? And was it because you recognized and sought out that treatment or because someone said, hey, Sebi, you need to get some help? Uh, somebody recognized, uh, you know, changes in my behavior, my physical appearance, uh, my spirit. I was a very gregarious, happy-go-lucky person. Uh, obviously, you know, part of it, I guess, is, is you know, just a matter, of course, from, from going through. We all went through Chris, right? So, uh, you know, um, but you, you have, you, whatever angels enter their, you know, your life, you know, they, they, they come and they don't even know that they're functioning as such. Hey, he said, hey, look, you're not yourself. And you, you know, you were inspiring to people. You, you, you know, he says, something's amiss here. So, you know, maybe around 2003, four to Jerry's point, like, you know, we, we were doing a lot of, uh, you know, inhalers and, and corticosteroids and stuff to try and help our lungs. And not even recognizing that you know, as the, the years were going along, that there was a correlation between the physical and the emotional and the behavioral and, and the spiritual, honestly, at the end of the day. And um, it, it was a long process. And it took a lot of different, to Jerry's point, it took a lot of different healers and, 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 and time and a circle of health, Chris, basically, right? It's, it's not just one component. You, you heal the physical, right? The chemical exposure and how it affects your brain. And, I, and you saw the film, like, I, I felt like my brain was just right up against my skull. I mean, it's almost impossible to function, really, as, as, as anything, because you're dealing with all that stuff. And, uh, the hyperbarics helped. Um, some some integrative detoxification, you know, a whole range of things, behavioral therapy, uh, recognizing that you do have post-traumatic stress. That's why you react a certain way. That's why you're not sleeping. That's why if you hear a pin drop, you're up and you can't move, you know, all these types of things. Smells even, Chris, you know, the wildest things, going in an elevator, thinking about what happened to your friends or in an underground garage in Manhattan. And, the, you know, it's, I don't even want to go there and, and overwhelm some show, but, you know, there's a lot. It was uh, really too massive that I would never want to share. I, I would never want anyone to experience or feel, you know, just these correlations that happen in a split second. So it's a lot to manage and turn around. And what gave me the inspiration was my children. Um, children so, make um, you do great things. Yeah. No, they make you do great things. And uh, but the, go ahead. Sorry. In the, in the film too was, you know, I was lucky that I had them as an inspiration, but each one of us has an intrinsic value and we, we need to be here. And to, to Jerry's earlier point about preventing, you know, people not wanting to continue with their lives and stuff. You, you can't do that. You have to recognize that we're all part of a mosaic here and we all have a role to play and we all have, you know, we all have honor and, and, and and light in us that we need to share and continue to go. No, thank you. And, you know, I, I think I've been telling our listeners and viewers over the last year or so that as bad as COVID-19, the pandemic has been, the one good thing I'm taking out of this is it's really putting a light on uh, mental health and allowing people, giving the people the strength to say, hey, I'm not alone. It's okay to not be okay and, and come out. So uh, thank you both for, for doing this and for sharing this. And another thing in my nonprofit world, um, we have a program focused on mental health um, for veterans with post-traumatic stress, but it's really concentrated in technology. And what I love about the documentary and to your point, Seb, you just highlighted it there was there's not just one thing to help you. 
And not one thing works for everybody. You have to try different things. You have to go talk to different people. And by exposing these different options to people, I think it's going to make it easier for folks who need to get some help to say, hey, even though I tried something three years ago that didn't work, maybe I should go look at something else. So thank you both for sharing that and bringing that to, to everyone's attention. Thank you. Jerry, you've said that each person and story in Quiet Explosions touched you, but there was one person with whom you have a special connection. Please tell us about Alan and his story. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure to let you all know that the man in the movie who was in surgery in uh, 1997 when he was 50 is my husband, Alan. Alan had nothing to do with the movie um, originally. And I was halfway through the film and I was with Dr. Gordon at a medical conference in San Diego and we were sitting around a fireplace at night. Most people know nothing about my personal life. I just do my work and focus on the movie. But something came up about my husband having open heart surgery and ending up with brain impairment and no short term memory whatsoever, unable to work and so on. And this was like 24 years ago. So Dr. Gordon's listening to me and he said, I think I can help him. I'm sure we can help Alan. And I said, I doubt it. You know, it's been two decades, but it turned out that I said, to, I talked to Alan and I said, do you want to, do you want to go in and see him and see what this is all about? And we figured we'll try. I mean, we've tried millions of other things. So I told the cameraman, let's follow this. We have no idea what's going to happen. Probably nothing, but we'll just follow the story. So we did. And he got better and better and better when they started replacing all the hormones that were missing in his brain. We just couldn't believe it. I mean, he had so many symptoms that were improving. So at the very end of all of the footage, I went to my editor and she looked at all everything. And I said, look, if you have too many characters, just take out my husband, delete him. And and she looked at everything and said, Jerry, we would never take Alan out because he's the guy next door. He's the man from Minneapolis or Iowa or South Dakota. You know, not everyone is a football star. Not everyone is a famous surfer. And people can relate to Alan. And, of course, everyone loves his cuddling story at the end of the movie. So I felt that by me doing this to help others in the world, look what happened to my family. He improved. My daughters can't believe it. My grandchildren. So you know, what you give, you receive. And that's what happened in this movie. So it's pretty miraculous. This question is for both of you. What have you seen about America's healthcare system, insurance system, or government policies that can be done better to help people who have experienced a traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress? I feel like we need to get all of these protocols in the VA as soon as possible. I mean, we have to help the veterans There is a solution. They need to stop giving them pharmaceuticals constantly. I just hope and pray that this movie will make that happen. And then slowly the doctors are becoming educated. And it's all about education. Once they know there are ways to help them heal, most of the doctors are pretty open. You know, some of them are pretty set in their ways. But I met a few doctors at another conference in Tucson with Dr. Gordon, and they saw the film and one of them came up to me, Dr. Song from New Jersey, and he said, Jerry, I've been in practice 20 years, and I did not know some of the things in your movie. We must do an interview. So we did a little interview the next morning, and that is in the extras in our DVD. 
And it was amazing to me that he was so open. And some doctors are open when they realize there's more we can do for society. Seb, yes, I'm nodding a lot there. Well, Jerry's, you know, so on point. And uh, just as a, I guess, patient, if you want to call it, uh, what I've seen, and my, my brother-in-law is a physician, uh, it's, it, and why I think all 10 of us agreed to do the movie was to create awareness and forward. I mean, we've had the benefit of learning things that, you know, some people don't know. And what I'm sensing, to Jerry's point, I think doctors innately want to help people, but they're not aware of a lot of the integrative modalities that do help us. And incorporating a little bit of the knowledge that they have with uh, immediate trauma response, with learning how to get back to quality of life. Otherwise, what's it really all for? And that's the thing. It's not day-to-day basis. What is it that needs to be done? You know, to Dr. Gordon and Jerry's point, you know, about recalibrating the hormones in the brain or, or treating the actual swelling in the brain that occurs from toxic exposure or from a, a trauma. And, you know, if you would have interviewed me 10 years ago, Chris, I, I wouldn't have been able to complete a sentence. You know, it's been a really long journey, a lot of work that was worth it. And we're all worth it. And, you know, I want to walk my kids down the aisle. I want to be there for when they have kids and stuff like that. And, you know, Alan and I spoke about that, too. And, you know, I don't want to offend Jerry, but I think I got even closer to Alan and I got <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> you wish that I was one of those kids he was cuddling, you know. But, um, you know, it's, it's great. You know, we, we, we need to take the reins off. I think there's a little bit too much uh, of it's either this way or the highway. And I think that comes from the medical arena, maybe more, you know, let's be honest, maybe more from insurance companies or, 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 or pharmaceutical companies that feel they need to have control over a, a revenue stream instead of looking at people as individuals that are, that have lives that, that are fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and, 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 and just people, you know, we're not, we're not nameless and faceless people. And, you know, I think that's really what needs to happen. It needs to be an entire recalibration of, of how we assess things and not marginalize these integrated people. And we're kind of seeing that right now, Chris, unfortunately, what's going on. There are so many amazing healers and physicians that, have a story to tell to help people genuinely and i think they're being suppressed and i think that that's why i feel that you know jerry's very courageous in going down this path with the documentary really courageous and uh and um i think that everyone who participated the film to to be vulnerable enough to recognize that even to have gone through it is not enough. You really need to pay it forward because, you know, I feel fortunate that these angels came in my life and that there's a reason, you know, you, you, there's a reason for everything. And you have to tell your story. If it's going to help other people, you shouldn't keep it to yourself. And Sebi, we've talked a lot about 9-11, but as a firefighter, you certainly would have experienced a great deal of stress and maybe post-traumatic stress in the years leading up to that. How do firefighters and first responders deal with the day in, they out traumas of the job. Well, that's a that's a amazing question. Um, I think that some sometimes it's easier than others. Uh, the one thing is that we need each other. We could all come from different backgrounds, but we're all firefighter uh, family, and uh, we know 
dark and in the heat that we have each other's back and uh, that we'll always be there for each other. Uh, it's a shared experience, obviously. Um, some Sometimes, Chris, not so good. You know, sometimes people resort to maybe drinking too much, eating too much, or, or you know, behaviorally not acting um, the way they can. It's a, it's a byproduct of the exposure and not recognizing it. So another, I think, important uh, light that's being shown during the film is that you need to recognize that it's okay if you're exposed to something that it's going to, it's going it, to, you have to express it, not suppress it. Cause if you suppress it, it's going to come out in a way that that isn't beneficial to yourself or people around you. And, and, you know, it's rough, you know, and, and 9-11 specifically, there really are no words to say what happened that day. And I think, you know, that um, it's been a very, very, very long time to unravel um, parts of it and, and recognize that you, you know that it's always there, especially with the anniversary now, you know, at this time of year, always, always affects us on a cellular level. We know when it's coming, we feel it, it affects us. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm emotional, I've been a rock, but with the 20th anniversary and not sleeping so much because of it and all the recognizing that recognition, excuse me, that, you know, we're fortunate, Chris, you and I, you know, we made it through that day and we have an obligation to live with honor. Like you do, you, you support so many people that you'll never meet. You have the courage to start, and you know, a foundation that supports the people affected about by what happened that day. I speak to veterans all the time that say, "Hey, Seb, you know, I went because of what you guys went through, and and so on and so forth." And they put themselves in harm's way to keep all of us safe and free. And um, you know, it actually then it dovetails into what Jerry's done with telling a story about a, a byproduct of. of of what all of this has done because it definitely was a ripple effect. Um, and you just got to keep going and you got to, you know, live with as much honor as you can and, and try to be the best person you could be to people that aren't here anymore and honor the suffering that, that took place and always have that in the back of your mind, but also know, you know, they want you to, to try and move forward and be happy. You know, they would want that. And if I didn't make it, that's what I would want for you and Jerry and my children is to, to be able to move forward and be happy, but never forgetting because you can never forget because it's that, that balance of the impact with the amplification of what life really is and what it means is just, you know, that's what it's about. I'll put this question to each of you and maybe Jerry can go first. What advice would you have for family members or others who interact or think they may be interacting with someone coping with post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury? Uh, you broke up a little bit. Could you just tell me sure. the beginning of that? I was just saying, what advice would you have for family members who interact or think they may be interacting with somebody coping with post-traumatic stress or TBI? Well, the most important thing is to go to our resource page. Okay, we have a resource thing on our website, quietexplosions.com, with all of the information, doctors and, and groups and helping and see the movie and understand that there is a way out, that things can get better. You, there is hope. The caretaker has to convince the person who's in it that they do need the help. I was the one who convinced Alan, you do need a psychiatrist when he was like ready for suicide. 
he wouldn't listen to anyone else but me. So usually the family members can get through or the, or the spouse or whoever, the mother, the father, the children, to the victim, a person who's having the, the trauma, the problem. There are many ways to heal. And, and if it's a matter of just talking to someone who's been through it, you know, if they need like a buddy, almost like an AA, when they have somebody they can call if they, if they go off the deep end and want to have a drink. It's the same kind of thing. They need the camaraderie. They need to know they're not alone. And there are ways to get out of this hole. And you know what? You've got to find the joy in each day. So I would say, you know, see the film. Call me. Call somebody in the film. Go to our resource page. Go to the Quiet Explosions page on Facebook. and, And interact with people who have lived through it and have come out of it. Sebi, I see you nodding a lot. Anything to add? Yes, everything that Jerry said, and I know for sure, is don't don't ever quit. Don't ever feel like it's your fault. Um, there's a lot of uh, um, uh, guilt surrounding it, uh, a lot of judgment surrounding it, what's wrong with you, what's going on. There are answers out there. Uh, thank God that Jerry has moved this movie forward and we have a resource for it because you don't know about it. I, it just went step to step to step and fortunate and fortunate and fortunate to meeting other people. But now I, I understand why that happened for me so that I could share my story for others. And now we have a place where you can go and say, oh, wow, this doctor's in my area. So maybe I can't do the hormone therapy that Dr. Gorn has, but I could do hyperbaric or I could do this. And, you know, it's rough. It, it's rough, but you can do it. And you have intrinsic value. All of, all of us do. And we're worth it. We need to uh, fight this. And there's hope. Look at me. I wouldn't be able to have this conversation with you. I wouldn't be able to clear, clearly think. You know, I, I, I just wouldn't. You know, there's hope out there. And then the physical and the and mental and the emotional and the spiritual, it all comes together in the circle of health. And you can do it. You can do it. Just don't give up and keep trying and, and, and you'll get there. Gary, you mentioned a moment ago having a buddy to call. Um, I love that. I went through a leadership program a couple of years ago and the, on the first day, one of the things they made us do in the first half of the session was to have what they call the battle buddy. So this is your person, no matter what, good, bad, indifferent, you need something, give them a call. They're there for you 24 seven. So I love that. And Jerry, it seems like a lot of people want to be filmmakers. Everyone loves bright lights, Hollywood, all that fun stuff, or at least they think they want to be filmmakers. What advice do you have for someone who thinks they want to be in your line of work? You have to have nerves of steel and you have to be able to move mountains. It's really hard. It's becoming a filmmaker, a director, producer, writer. It's very difficult and you have to have it inside you. Cause when I'm making a movie, I tell people I eat, sleep and drink it. And I, and I dream it. like I cannot, my brain cannot do anything else. And it consumes me 150%. So you have to be so committed. I mean, you can't, ha- you can't tell somebody, you know, oh, try to find the passion. You either have it or you don't. Because this is such a difficult line of work that you really, it's like you can't stop. You just want to keep, you know, making the movies and, and finding the stories and telling the stories. But, you know, it's not an easy thing. I mean, Getting your characters, you know, finding the trust, finding the right crew. I mean, there's always like 50 emergencies that you have to put out every day and solve problems. And you have to be 
you know, the cook and the psychologist, <laughs> you know, everything on set. So I, I would recommend that people apprentice, go on sets, you know, for free and just help out and watch and learn and see if it's really for you. And Sebi, I'll put the same question to you. It's practically gospel that every boy growing up and nowadays more than just a few girls wants to be a firefighter. What do you say to them? It's the greatest job in the world. <laughs> that sums it up. Drop the mic. Yeah. Greatest job in the world. Drop the mic. <laughs> You'll never know. To be able to go to work and have the opportunity on a daily to be able to do something impactful in someone else's life um, is, is, a, is a pretty pretty feeling. You know, a lot of tough things that go along with it, but I, wouldn't, I would never have traded it for the world. The best job in the world and uh, the second family to me. And what's ahead for each of you next? Jerry, you've got a busy couple of months coming up here. Well, we're working on the Oscar campaign for 2022, Best Documentary Feature and Best Music, and that's very exciting. We did win Best Original Score in one festival. We have 12 awards now, and one is the most important film of the year, 2021, so the Impact Award. So we're very excited about that. We're going to be in, in theater in L.A. October 8th. So follow, follow QuietExplosions.com to find out about that. But I have just started another little film about a homeless guy in Santa Monica who um, I did a, a project about seven years ago. He was homeless 16 years and Step Up gave him a place to live. And I followed that story. And I found out in the last seven years, he went back to college and got a degree in mathematics and calculus, algebra, geometry. And so I thought it was fascinating. So um, we shot that last week a little bit. And we're going to start editing. It's it's another story with great hope at the end and showing that regardless if you're homeless, you can really become something. So I like to do stories that are going to give people hope and hopefully um, I'll make an impact somewhere in the world. And Sebi, I'm not sure what you have planned, but I'll tell you what I've planned for you next. You're my newest battle buddy. <laughs> I, I, I feel part of it, Chris. I really do. And thank you for your courage and everything you do to help people in your foundation as well. No, thank you. Uh, two very inspirational people. Jerry Share and Sebi Responsi, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having us. And thank you to our audience for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek Public Figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place, with another leader from the world of business, politics, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.